0: So as you can probably guess if you haven't realized it, I'm not Stephen. So, so I I talk a bit slower. That might be helpful. <laughs> you know, gotta love the guy though. You know, I think about how things sometimes change. You know, Pastor Stephen and his family are on their well-deserved sabbatical right now over in Ganya, and I'm stand, Ghana, and I'm standing up here, and I'm I'm preaching in this place. Well, the last time Pastor Stephen preached in my place was four years ago, about this time. He actually came to the church I was pastoring on Wednesday nights for six weeks, led our Wednesday night Bible study, preached once or twice while I was on sabbatical after 15 years of pastoring. You know, the difference is he's doing something noble. Me, I was, today I was on a a ferry called the SS Badger crossing Lake Michigan on my bicycle ride back from Astoria, Oregon home. So this was actually kind of a rest day for me on this Badger. I only rode like five miles. It was kind of cool. But uh, that was four years ago today. You know, lots changed in four years. Anybody notice? Has anybody noticed that recently the world's kind of gone bonkers? Uh, Back in 2018 at this time, no COVID-19. Can I get a, you know, amen on that one? I'll tell you, it'd be nice to not have it today. No inflation either. Gas was 2 70 a gallon. Now's when I ought to be riding the bike, which I was yesterday. And, you know, JB almost had the opportunity to preach this morning. Because our brother, this lovely man, takes an old guy like me, puts me on a ski lift, takes me to the top of a mountain, says, OK, we're going to do the easy green run. Let's do that a few times. Okay, let's do a little blue one, now let's just jump in the black, you know. And I went over the handlebars, praise God I'm here this morning. Uh, Sore ribs, maybe, but that's about it. But I said, you know, you almost had an opportunity to preach. But in case anybody's worried, the bike is fine. (laughs) And none of the tattoos got scratched, so I'm praising God. So things were a lot different back then, but you know, there were some things that were the same just four years ago. Um, In 2018, there were 17 people killed and 17 people injured when a gunman went on a shooting spree in Parkland High School in Florida. That's the same today. Back in 2018, uh, a 28-year-old shot and killed 12 before he killed himself at a bar in Thousand Oaks. And Marilyn and I know Thousand Oaks because we grew up real near there. And back in 2018, now this is going to be a surprise, our government was just as divided then as it is today. (laughs) Politicians were talking about all the same stuff. Times change, but you know, they really don't. Solomon talks about this in Ecclesiastes one time. You just got to love it. He says, what has been is what will be and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. I mean, winter, spring, summer fall, seasons come, seasons go, prices rise, prices fall, peace precedes violence, and violent acts are followed by peaceful ones. You know, the last time I stood up here and I uh, preached, I told you one of my moms saving, my mom's favorite save, sayings is, "Bloom where you are planted." Well, you know what? My mom has another favorite saying, and it is, this too shall pass. Well, I'll tell you what, until a lot of things pass in this world, some of the bonkerness, and that's a new word if you want to use it, until all of this world's bonkerness passes, there are days that I really, at times, go a bit crazy when I look at what is going on around me. I mean, it's just like, where did the world go? Now, I'm 62 years old, and there are some like my mother, who are 83, that say she doesn't even recognize this world from when she grew up. I mean, there's a lot of crazy things. And sometimes they're a bit unexplainable who knows maybe even you at times get a little crazy when you you see what's going on out there and you just think I can't understand it what what is up with all of this you know me when that happens when I look at this world and I see it just really like I don't know what's going on where do I go I'll tell you what I go here I go to the Word of God. It gives me a lot of clarity about this world. Why? Because things really haven't changed. Solomon told us that. Some of those same issues that they were dealing with back in his time we're dealing with today, right? And when things get really craziness and my feelings start going all over the place, and I am not a person with a lot of feelings, so when that happens, that's kind of weird, but... When they start going really crazy and it's like I want to I want to really just kind of make sense of what I'm feeling too, where do I go in the word of God? I go to the Psalms often. You know, and Pastor Stephen started a series last week on the Psalms, and that's where I will often go. Why? Because the Psalms are real. Right? They, I mean, they're gritty. They are filled with raw emotion, with fear, with anxiety, with worry, with anger. I mean, all of that. And at the same time, there is a beautiful balance in the Psalms because at the same time in the Psalms, we also see that the Psalms are filled with hope and trust and assurance. And and all of these... uh, confidences in a god in the god who is mighty and he is greater than our fears and our anxieties and our worries and our anger and all of our crazy emotions there's a beautiful balance in the psalms so when i look around the world today and i see things here in 1922 1922. <laughs> wow. Somebody checked me for a head injury from yesterday's going over the, the handlebars. Had a nice helmet though. Uh, in 2022. When I when I look around and I see these, you know, these reports of the richest people getting like crazy richer and other people trying to just put gas in the car, food on the tray and to keep that. Roof over their head. When I start thinking of Pastor Stephen, Katie, the kids in Ghana, right, in a third world nation, and I, and I looked up one day last week, it's like, well, I wonder what a percentage of the world lives in a third world nation. 75% of the people on earth, three quarters, live in a third world nation. And when I think of some of these countries that they're just trying to get clean water while The world leaders in all of their regal opulence are are going to these resorts to discuss the state of affairs in the world. It makes me sick. I mean, I scratch my head at times and I say, Mom, really? Is all this too going to pass? I don't know if you've ever had days like that. You know, we just sang some wonderful songs about God's love and His faithfulness. You ever have a day when you, you sing those songs and something changes and you start saying, really? I don't know, God. Where is all this love and this faithfulness of yours, this strength? That's a real emotion. This sermon, I have to warn you. You know, we should have everybody sign a disclaimer this morning. You know, we've got to hear some truth today. Got to hear some truth. Uh, It's Kind of a nitty-gritty sermon. And that's just because of what the psalm is. Turn with me to Psalm 73. Psalm 73. And if you do not have a Bible, and you say, well, maybe I ought to read this Bible if it's full with so many answers in this world feel free to take one of those home in front of you. I know Pastor Stephen says it would be a win for him if you take one home and you read it. It's a win for all of us. It's a win for you more than anyone else. So we're going to be in Psalm 73 today. And this is a psalm of Asaph. Psalm of Asaph. I mean, there are 150 psalms in the Bible. And together they comprise the longest book in the Bible. And in those psalms, you have the longest chapter, which is Psalm 119 and the shortest, which I think is Psalm 117, and Psalm 117 is smack dab in the middle of your Bible. It's the middle chapter of the Bible, right? 73 of those psalms are attributed to King David. I mean, he was a pretty good musician, poet, you know, worship leader, writer, you know, of worship songs. Well, so 73 of the 150 psalms are attributed to King David. Well, the next person that the most are attributed to is Asaph. And 12 are given his name on them as the writer. But who is Asaph? Well, we can look it up. In Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 30, we read this. King Hezekiah and the officials commanded the Levites to sing praises to the Lord with the words of David and Asaph the seer. And they sang praises with gladness, and they bowed down and worshipped. And then in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, we also read this. David appointed some of the Levites to invoke, to thank, and to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. Asaph was the chief. Asaph was, was to sound the cymbals that thanksgiving be sung to the Lord, by Asaph on his brothers. Who is Asaph? We got an Asaph, JB. He was the worship leader of the congregation. He was the greatest, the chief of the worshipers. He was the one that stood up here, played the guitar. I'm probably not a guitar. You know, banged on the box. Maybe a box, right, you know? And Asaph, he, he begins in this way with Verse 1. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. Let us pause there for a moment a lot. I mean, we could almost preach a whole sermon on those two verses. And anybody that knows me that was in in the church I pastored, they know I could preach a whole sermon series on those two verses. It could take forever. But you know, Psalm 73 begins just how we expect worship songs to begin, by acknowledging God's goodness. Another way to maybe read how ASAP begins is Verse 1 would kind of read like, God only does good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. That's another rendering of that first verse. Now, we all know that there is none who is pure in heart except Jesus Christ, the God-man. But the Bible does teach, in addition to that, that God declares some to be pure, to be blameless, to be holy, to be righteous. And those are the ones that have been purchased by the blood of Christ. So ASAP begins, God only does good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. And if we start looking at these verses and we maybe take them alongside other passages in Scripture, like say, let's just say Romans 8.28, where God is working all things to good for those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. When we start looking at all of this, we can kind of, in today, just kind of say, you know what, God only does good to His people. He only does good things for His people. It was kind of the beginning of this. Thing. We just sang some songs like that, right? God, you know, you love me so much. You're always by my side. Right? You never will leave me. We, we start off singing songs very similar to that. Yet by the time we get to verse 2, Asab, even though he knows in his heart that God only does what is good, he also admits to something if you saw that. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. And then in verse 3, he continues, "...for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind." Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. Verse 8, they scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their minds against the heavens and their tongue struts through the earth. Verse 10, therefore... His people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. Hmm. Let me summarize that. There's a lot there. Let me, let me kind of s- summarize it so we see in a real s- simple you know, statement what Asaph is kind of feeling. It goes something along these lines. He's saying, like, even though I know God is good and that he only does good, when I look around me and I see in this world what appears to be evil and wicked men winning. I'm a bit tempted when I see all of this, not going the way I think it should be going, if God truly does love us and if he is truly always by our side. When I see all of this, I'm tempted to doubt. I almost doubted. I almost stumbled into doubt God's goodness. And I began to envy the wicked a little. And not only is Asap, you know, tempted to doubt, he's also tempted to have a bad attitude over it all. If you look at verse 13, all in vain. So now he's saying, all in vain I have kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence For all the day long, I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. You know, ASAP, he's real. I don't know about the rest of you, but he's real, right? ASAP's sentiments are something along these lines. Hey, seeing people do quite well in their wickedness and seeing them live into their 90s in and, and wealth and health and good eating and, you know, pleasure, I'm starting to feel a bit robbed and I'm starting to grow a little bit bitter because I want my share too. I want what I am entitled to because I'm playing by God's rules and they are not. I mean, that's a little bit of what we got going on there. You know, he's a bit upset. All in vain have I kept my heart clean. Why have I kept my heart clean? It's all for vanity. It's not working. And I've kept my hands clean. In innocence, I've washed my hands. But, but, even after doing that, all the day long, I am the one who is stricken. I am the one who is rebuked every morning. Hmm. ASAP eloquently puts his feelings on paper. But the thing is, and Pastor Stephen mentioned it last week, these psalms were intended to be a corporate worship sung by the congregation. So ASAP in his feelings of looking around at this world that has gone bonkers and with the, with the bad guys winning and the good guys suffering, that whole sentiment that he has in his heart where he says, you know, I'm, I'm close to doubting all of this goodness of God that we keep singing about. In, in all of that, he puts a worship song together for the congregation. Why? Because he probably knew or the Holy Spirit showed him he's not the only one through time that would ever feel that way. He's not the only believer in God who was going to have a bad day and was going to have difficulty understanding why all those weird and wicked people around him were having good days. Maybe even some of us are challenged at times when we look at the world around us. Maybe it challenges some of us a little to wonder why so many evil people are prospering. And so many good people. And in our minds, we understand. We, our intellect tells us there is none good. No, not one. But when we think, you know, how can this be happening? Maybe even some of us, maybe even you. I admit it. There have been times when I have struggled. Times when I have struggled, especially when I've seen a, a beloved brother or sister in Christ who is really struggling. And then at the same time, I watch these wickedly evil people gleefully skating around them as if there is no care in the world. Maybe even you're tempted at times, as I am at times, to just question. You know, we don't want to question, but to question God's goodness a little in that situation as to understand what is going on. Maybe... You know, Asaph continues in verse 15. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. You know, there might have been some of us this morning who were out there singing the songs that were up on these screens here about the love of God and and His faithfulness to us. That as we were singing those songs in our heart, we were deeply troubled about how all that played out in this area of our life or in that area of another person's life, trying to truly understand how does that all play out and what is going on right now in my life. And that's where ASAP is right there. ASAP is a little bit embarrassed because he's like, I know that I should be singing and saying, all is great, God is only doing good. But if I do that, I kind of feel a little hypocritical at times because I'm not feeling what I'm singing. This is real. It's real real stuff. I love the end of Jude's love. Letter. I'm just going to read the, I mean, two verses towards the end of Jude's letter. Jude writes this. He says, Now to him, referring to God, who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. I like that. Why? Because you know, ASAP says that my feet almost slipped. They nearly slipped. I almost stumbled. I love that almost and nearly. God is faithful to keep his people from stumbling, as Jude just said. You might feel a little slip up, right? But God is truly with us in these times. Brothers and sisters, even when we, like Asaph, are tempted to doubt God or his goodness, when we feel as if we are being robbed of what we are owed while others are getting what they do not deserve, when we see the wicked prosper and the sinful kept healthy and the arrogant receiving and taking credit for all the many blessings that God has given them, and when the violent keep going free as the righteous are the ones being hauled into court... For standing up on the side of God and the Scripture, let us never forget there is a day coming that we will be presented by him who is able to keep us from stumbling, presented before the throne of God, blameless and righteous. That final day when Christ comes again. This story, this picture is a big picture. It's a big story. And in verses 16 and 17, there is a shift in Psalm 73. And this is how God keeps Asaph from stumbling entirely. Look at what he says in verse 16. But when I thought how to understand this? It seemed to me a wearisome task. Verse 17, our pivotal verse of the day. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Verse 17 is the pivotal verse of Psalm 17 where Asap moves from a position of bitterness, embarrassment, entitlement, and confusion to a position of wisdom, understanding, praise, and worship. And verse 17 is also the answer to our own temptations to doubt God and His goodness when it comes to the prospering of the wicked and the suffering of the godly. The only way for us not to doubt the goodness of God is to understand, and to understand truly that everything that God does is good, is for us to acquire a heavenly perspective like Asab just did, going into the sanctuary of God he now understood. You know what? He was looking over God's shoulders at this point, He was seeing things through how God sees things through an eternal perspective instead of an earthly perspective. ASAP goes into the sanctuary of God to do this, and we've got a way to do it too, which is even closer and better than the sanctuary of God, and that is again through the Word of God. We can go into the Word of God. We can acquire that same heavenly perspective that Asaph does. We can, it can give us an understanding that no matter what our eyes tell us, no matter what we see, in the end, things work differently. And they work out from an eternal perspective and not from our 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years of life on earth. God is playing the end game. If we couple the word of God with prayer and with godly counsel, we will soon see exactly the things that ASAP sees in terms of the eternal perspective. The Word of God helps us to look beyond the tip of our nose to see things the way that God sees them, to make sense of it all. We need that heavenly perspective. In verse 18, Asaph begins to speak from his newfound heavenly perspective where God justly works all things out for the holiness of His name and the eternal good of His people. Look at verse Verse 18. Truly, you set them, who them? The wicked. Truly, you set the wicked in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream when one awakes. Oh God, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. Having now acquired a heavenly perspective, Asab now sees that every sinner will have his or her day in court. That every sinner at one point will stand before the throne of God in judgment. And with this new heavenly perspective, Asab now sees that many of those things Things that he once considered an earthly blessing are truly nothing more than an eternal curse. Much of what we see through our eyes of people gaining great wealth, gaining great health, gaining you know all of this, everything the world has, Asab says, you know what? I understand now. Much of that is not a blessing; it's a curse. Much of it is really a curse. That they would be swept away by those slippery slopes. Take some thinking as we go through this. And seeing things now from a heavenly perspective, Asab now sees himself more clearly as well. And that insight into himself leads him into repentance. Verse 21, When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart I was brutish and ignorant I was like a beast toward you I wonder how many times God has looked down at this guy named Jeff up here not that one this one here and said, "Man, you're kind of being a little brutish to me right now. You're acting like a beast." In his repentance, Asab now better sees and appreciates who God is and what God has done and what God continues to do for him. You know, to speak in terms we probably understand better when Asab sees his own wretchedness towards God, the way that he was brutish and ignorant and obese towards him, He all the more appreciates the true grace of God that has been shown him. Verse 23. Nevertheless, I love this, nevertheless, and I have in my little parentheses here I've added, nevertheless, even though I was brutish, ignorant, and beastly towards you, nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand, you guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. It's not saying that about all these wicked people that are prospering right now. He's saying that about himself and his repentance. Even though he was brutish, ignorant, and beastly towards God, God still has him by the hand. God hasn't let him go. God's guiding him. He's counseling him. And at one point, he's going to receive Asab in the glory. And Asab's just starting to bask in that truth now. He's starting to see things from the eternal perspective. Snapped out of his embittered, confused, and entitled state, Asab now sees that even if the wicked or evil man has the entire world, he or she has nothing of eternal value. You know, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, you know, all of these people that are out there with their billions that have their everything. They have nothing without Christ. Nothing without God. They have things that are going to rust and corrode and be stolen. Nothing is what Asaph is saying. I see it now, God. I get it. They have nothing because they do not have you grabbing them by the right hand, counseling them, receiving them into glory. They have none of that. They've just got earthly stuff that's going to get thrown out at some point. Asap sees that even in his or her most desperate moments, the person that God has declared as righteous, as holy, has far more than anything this world can give because they have a relationship with the living God and that is an eternal value. And with that perspective, he continues in verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Asab realizes that to have health and wealth and power and status is really nothing at all when you do not have the eternal God and His kingdom as your inheritance. And when we do have the eternal God and His kingdom as our inheritance because we have placed our faith in Christ and Christ alone, then having health and wealth and power and status it's not necessary at all because we already have the best. We don't need to settle for things that are second best when we have God. That is the understanding that Asaph has come to through Psalm 73. But now before I end this morning, I've got two points I want to really highlight from Psalm 73 And I'm going to call them my heavenly perspective points one and two. Heavenly perspective points one and two. And the first one I can summarize, we can summarize in the beginning of verse four. For they, the wicked, those that are prospering right now and and wicked at the same time, for they have no pangs until death. Heavenly perspective point number 1 Lack of suffering is not always a sign of God's blessing. Got to say that again. We need to remember this that lack of suffering is not always a sign of God's blessing. Same as having wealth is not always a sign of God's blessing. Having good health is not always a sign of God's good blessing. Because there are many healthy, wealthy, prosperous, important people that are comfortably making their way to the gates of hell and no one is going to stop them. They will arrive very comfortably at their eternal damnation. At times, lack of earthly suffering just means that a person's suffering is being delayed until the pangs of death, until life eternal. That's something we need to remember. Oh, God must love you. Look at what he's done in your life. Well, no, because much of what he's given them has caused them to stumble. And they have not been grabbed by God before they have fallen all the way down into their misery. And in verse 5, we read of those who are not in trouble, who are not stricken like the rest. You know, in this psalm, we start off that, you know, those who are stricken are typically the ones that God really loves is what ASAP is coming to this conclusion. And those who are not stricken are maybe not the ones that God loves. But in verse 5, we read of those who are not in trouble and those who are not stricken. So heavenly perspective point number two is the following. Being stricken... Or having earthly trouble is not a sign that God has abandoned you. Having earthly trouble, being stricken, is not, capital N-O-T, not a sign that God has abandoned you that He is not in your life. It is not a sign that God has somehow cursed you either. Having difficulty, struggles, trials, suffering in life is not a sign that God has somehow abandoned or cursed us or he has somehow forsaken or forgotten us. Note in verse 6, it begins, Therefore, Therefore, since they, the wicked, do not have pangs until death, therefore, since they are not troubled and stricken, I'm reading into this, because all is great for them, here and now, they are proud, violent, foolish scoffers, who speak malice and oppress others, believing God doesn't see what they're doing. They foolishly believe they will all get away with this. That's a curse on them. The fact that, that everything's going well for them is a curse. It means God is not with them. And those who are stricken in this, in this psalm are the ones that God is really with. So just the fact that we do not have any earthly trouble, it is not a sign that God is... I mean, that we do have earthly trouble is not a sign that God has somehow abandoned us. And why is that? Because earthly struggles, trials, tribulations, difficulties, illnesses... Whatever it might be, these earthly struggles that His people go through are often the greatest eternal blessings that God gives to His most loved children. These are the things that build faith in us, that build endurance in us. These are the things that purify us that, you know, I mean, I'll tell you what, you could have the worst uh, sin problem, and you know the, the doctor calls you and says, "Hey, uh, you're dying." right, you got cancer, whatever, you got this disease, you got this illness. You know what, that's a great purifying thing because all that stuff that once, you know, had your attention no longer has your attention. God really has got your attention out of that, right? I mean, you're suffering and oftentimes we turn to God. We've got, we draw him closer. We draw closer to him. These are blessings is what Asaph has learned here today. Earthly struggle are often God's greatest eternal blessings given to his most loved of children. And in like verse 18, if we reread that carefully, you know, what we find is that an easy life is often God's greatest curse upon a person. I mean, we, we read that in places like Romans 1 where God gives them over to themselves. Nobody in here wants to be given over by God to our own hearts. At least I hope not. My heart's full of not good stuff. Without Christ, I am lost. I am dead. You know, these earthly struggles we have are often the very things that God uses to cause us to loosen our grip on those things that do not matter, so we cling to the one who does matter eternally. So how do we respond to this Psalm 73 this morning? Well, I think if we're a follower of Jesus, we can do a bit of self-examination. We can just go home, we can pray about this, we can, we can ask the Holy Spirit to expose in us any of those areas where that little bit of doubt is starting to creep in, where that little bit of stumbling or that little bit of, like, entitlement is starting to creep in to our hearts as we look around this crazy and bonker world that we live in. And as we as we find those areas, we can repent of them. We can turn to Christ all the more. We can cling to Him all the more and, and loosen our grip upon those things on earth that do not matter. And we can look and we say, God, give me the heavenly perspective on this area of my life or this area of my life. Help me to see it through your eyes, not through my own experience. And we can continue to just call out to God and run to him with all of our hearts. And this morning, if we're not a follower of Jesus, if we've never admitted to God that we can't do it, we, uh, you know, we're, we're just we're messing up all the time, uh, we can't be good enough to get to heaven, if we've never got to that point yet to where we can admit to God, you know, I'm, not, I'm just not good enough to get to heaven. I, I know Christ is perfect and I am very imperfect. I know God that you commanded me to be perfect and I, I just can't do this. If we get to that point that, and if we're there right now, what can we do? Well, we can do what the Bible says. We can put our faith in Christ. We can believe that truly God became man in, in the person of Jesus Christ and he did so so he could stand in our place in judgment We can believe that. We can put our hope and our trust and our faith in Christ on the cross. We can look at Him and we can say, He is the one whom my sin has been placed upon. We can put our faith in that. We can believe in that. And we can then walk out of here declared righteous by God as we put our faith in Christ. We can turn from our sins and turn towards the one who loves us this morning. And the good news is, You know, we read about all of those in the beginning of Psalm 7-3 that are doing all these things. You know, the good news is there is no sin that we've committed. There is no violent act that we've ever done. There are no words that we have yelled out in anger. There is nothing that any one of us has ever done that is unforgivable in God's eyes. And that he is not willing to forgive. He forgives the greatest sinners because he is all the more the greater God. And we can run to him no matter how dark our heart is, no matter how wicked and sinful our past past is, we can run to him knowing that if we confess those sins to them, he is righteous and good to forgive us those sins and to cleanse us from that unrighteousness through the love of His Son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You that You work from an eternal perspective. You're playing the long game, and we're so thankful for that. And Lord, we do confess, we do admit, that at times we, you know, in our own envy of others we do at times feel like hey I deserve better than this we deserve nothing but your wrath for our sin your anger for our sin and you have been so merciful to us and we thank you so much for that that you did send your son Jesus that he could take the punishment for our sin in his place and we could walk free we thank you for that father Will you please be with those who are troubled right now, who are having some things in their lives that are causing them to doubt a little, that they would just all the more cling to you and that you would all the more hold them in your love and in your faithfulness. We thank you. We love you. In the name of Jesus, amen.